This episode is sponsored by Birth, the climate action app. Accurately and effortlessly track and offset your carbon footprint from online purchases and learn how to make more sustainable consumption choices in your everyday life. Available now in the App Store and Google Play. Welcome back to Sustainably Influenced. I'm your host, Bianca Foley. In this season, we're discussing the relationship between the tech space and sustainability. Technology has the power to revolutionise the way we live and do things, and this has never been more important than in the current climate crisis. In recent years, the world has faced increasing challenges related to global warming, loss of biodiversity and resource depletion. However, technology has the potential to provide solutions and mitigate the impact of these problems. Advances in areas such as renewable energy, energy efficiency, sustainable transportation and smart cities can help us to transition to a more sustainable future. As businesses set ever more ambitious environmental, social and governance goals, their sustainability and technology strategies need to become more tightly aligned. Over the course of this season, I'll be diving into these strategies, speaking to disruptors and free thinkers in the industry who are using technology-based solutions to combat the climate crisis. Welcome back to another episode. As we've spoken about time and time again on this podcast, sustainability is a crucial concern, especially in this modern world. And with the rise of technology, there's an increasing focus on how we can utilise it to make a more positive impact on the environment. In this regard, more quote unquote green apps have emerged. And as an innovative tool for promoting eco-friendly consumer behaviour, And I think apps are really important to speak about because it's something that all of us use. Everybody who has a mobile phone or a smartphone will utilise apps in some form. So it's interesting to see how now we've got apps that are on the rise and being developed to help us live more consciously. And one of the key advantages of these apps is their accessibility. They can be downloaded at any time on your smartphone and it's easy for people to track anything from their carbon footprint to whatever whatever they want to track and make more eco-friendly choices. These apps kind of use like gamification tools. So that's to say like encouraging users to engage with the app through rewards or competition, but also to encourage them to take actions that are more environmentally friendly and rewards are provided for their efforts. Moreover, these apps also provide education on environmental issues and provide practical tips on how to live a more sustainable life. This information can help people make informed choices and can play a significant role in changing consumer behaviour. A real benefit is that they allow consumers to see the impact of their actions. For instance, an app that tracks carbon emission can show users how much they've reduced their carbon footprint over time. This can be a powerful motivator for people to continue their eco-friendly habits. But we'll speak more about this in detail a little later on. It's essential to note that the success of sustainability apps in changing consumer behaviour will depend on how quickly people start using them. The quicker and wider the adoption, the more significant the impact will be. They just go hand in hand. And more importantly, the app's design and functionality will play a really critical role in determining its success. It has to be user-friendly, engaging and provide actual, real, tangible, sometimes incentives in order for consumers to want to use it. 
We can't speak about apps without mentioning data here. And in a previous episode on this season, we discussed AI and how it influences consumer behaviour. And in a really similar way, data is empowering consumers to live more sustainably by providing them with information and insights that allow them to make informed choices about their daily habits and consumption patterns. This data can come from various sources, such as personal wearable devices, home sensors, sustainability apps, and can include information on things like energy use, water consumption, waste production, food choices, amongst a whole list of other things. By having access to this data, consumers can see the impact of their actions on the environment and make the necessary adjustments to reduce their carbon footprint. For example, data from a smart energy meter can show a consumer how much energy they use at what times, allowing them to change their usage or more often than not reduce their usage. One of my guests today is Tamarin Stoll, founder of the app Soko. Soko is a new breed of app that incentivizes positive behavior change. It sets simple everyday challenges that unlock feel-good rewards and encourages a more socially conscious way of living. By harnessing the power of brands that want to make a difference, Soko incentivizes people to make positive decisions that benefit themselves, the environment and society. So Tamrin, thank you for joining me. Tell us more about Soko. Like, how does it work? What do you all do? <laughs> it's lovely to be here and thank you very much for having me. Soko, okay. So I think in this modern world, we live in a place where information comes at us all the time and it can be hard to understand it, process it, figure out where we belong in the world with constant access to the internet. And Soko is all about empowering us empowering us to have a positive impact, especially, I think it's hard now if we don't fit into certain boxes. So if you can describe yourself as living off grid, you obviously have a positive impact in the world or going vegan, but most of these things aren't very desirable. So I wanted to empower people to live more sustainably in their everyday actions, something that's tangible that we can actually get on board with quite easily. So it's a platform that connects people looking to have a positive impact and ethical brands. And Soko is actually short for the word socially conscious. And it sets you challenges based around activities that are good for you, good for the planet. And when you reach your goal, the ethical brand sponsoring the challenge gives you an awesome reward. It could be a free product. It could be a massive discount that you can't get anywhere else. And as you progress through the app, you get inspiring data about what you're achieving and why it's beneficial for you and the planet. And the idea is just to make us feel happier and to make the planet healthier. That's the big picture. It's really interesting what it is that you're doing. And I love the fact that you've abbreviated or shortened the word socially conscious to come <laughs> up with Soko. I thought it was really, I thought it was very cute and very, I think it's a really punchy kind of title because when you expand it, it makes people go, oh, that's really nice. Yeah, I don't like that. But um, I wanted to talk to you about data because I know that that's something that you're quite interested in. So, how does access to data help customers make informed choices about their consumption patterns? Okay, so yeah, data is something that I love. I, I geek out on stats massively. I sometimes wonder if I started SoCo just so I could research statistics because <laughs> um, it plays a huge part. Because I think data and statistics can incentivize behavior change and it can also contextualize it and make it more tangible so to give an example 
we did a partnership with a vegan cheese brand, which is incredible. It's La Fomagerie. They do the most delicious stuff. And it, this particularly challenge appealed to people who uh, want to go plant-based or maybe fully or just partially. And the data behind it really drove the success of it. So, for instance, the, the challenge was use plant-based milk five days running and the reward is you get 50% off at this incredible company. And as you progress through it, the app gives you more data about the positive impact you're doing. And that is a real incentive. So some of the stats that we use are, do you know that to create one glass of cow's milk, use 10 times more land than one glass of oat milk? We've got big data in the world that we don't know what to do with. And then when you bring it down and make it digestible and bite-sized, it makes it so much more motivating or did you know that 58% of all food production emissions come from animal products? Or moving to a plant-based diet has a bigger Im- positive impact on the planet than you never getting on a flight again. Like all these things, I think, really, really incentivize people and make them understand the actual impact of their habits and behaviors and you know how we consume in the world and, and how we purchase. So I think... It's a really good question. And I think it's a question that you could either flip or extend is how has data actually encouraged companies to come into existence? So, for instance, there's when stats come out about food waste, we now have great apps like Too Good To Go, which encourage people to go and pick up food at a discounted rate from your local bakery or you know, fast fashion, which is, I know you know a lot about fashion, but the stats around fast fashion coming out have encouraged things like Vinted and Depop. So I think that there is a huge importance about data influence consumer behavior, but also about data encouraging new brands to come into being. It's true, because that's partly why we started what we did. Back when I was a duo, um, (laughs) we looked at how like the issues around sustainability the issues around packaging and that's what started off this platform it came from us doing research and realizing oh my god me doing this job as a social media content creator is actually impacting the planet and how do I stop that how do I look further into that and how do I educate others and it's interesting when you do look at the stats so much pops out of you the whole time because I was on mute when you were saying all those stats (laughs) Sorry, what? All right, that's, I didn't realise the land impact with cow's milk versus oat milk. It's phenomenal. These little things blow your mind. And it's not just about what you're consuming at the end product. It's about how these things get to you as the consumer. And I think so many people think within their own little box that they take up on this planet and they don't think about the impact and how everything, it's a big, like a big journey, isn't it? Or like a massive like map of things and how it comes to that point and comes to you as the consumer. And it's really interesting. It totally is. But I think for lots of people, although we have access to data and we're provided access, sort of converting big data into understandable data that actually has meaning for us. Like we could talk about, I don't know, how many particles of CO2 in the air in London. That doesn't mean much to anyone. So it's like it's really important that when we get this data it can be transcribed into a way that we can all understand. And then that actually empowers us to make decisions rather than almost bamboozles us. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think something that so many companies are missing is making it 
totally understandable to the consumer. Like you said, you can have this huge amount of information about carbon emissions in the air, but what does that actually mean? How What does that mean? How does that affect me? How do I make change? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what so many end product users want to know. I mean, speaking about the consumer and like there's something that keeps popping up in the news when it comes to wearable devices and smartphones and things like that and how data is captured there. So can data from these wearable devices, smartphones, home sensors, things like that, provide valuable insights into a consumer's environmental impact? Yeah, most definitely. So what was it? Only last week we were all asked to turn off our electricity for an hour. And that's an incredible thing to be asked. I don't remember in my lifetime the energy sector being that under strain. And so the idea that we just turned off our electricity for one hour could prevent blackouts for energy supplies is shocking, to be quite honest. And it's only going to get worse. We're now 8 billion people on the planet. We hit 8 billion in November. You know, these strains on resources increase more, but with smart meters, with wearables, we can find out exactly what our individual contribution is. I just shared something that I call the jumper test on Instagram recently, which is if you can walk around your house in winter with your heating on without wearing a jumper, you've probably got your heating up too high. So glad you said that. <laughs> argument I have daily put on clothes. Exactly. Wear clothes. People listening to this are probably thinking, what the hell is she going on about? But at home, I'm literally the person that walks around turning off light switches, turning off the heating because we've got like zonal temperature gauges yeah. in the house. And I don't have anything on. And it, sometimes they do come on when they feel like it, because I'm not going to lie, we're not exactly sure how to use it after two and a half years. It's very confusing, the system. But sometimes it comes on in different zones. And I'm always the one saying, if I can walk around in a jumper with my dressing gown on and a pair of socks and like leggings or something, and I'm okay, you don't need to have the heating on on top of that. You can't be walking around in shorts and a T-shirt and saying, oh, I'm cold. Totally. And actually, so the stat, I've got another stat for you. I love it. (laughs) Stat behind this one is putting on a wool jumper increases your body temperature between three and four degrees. So if you don't have a jumper on and then you go and put one on, you can reduce your thermostat in your house by at least two degrees. And that will save you about two to 250 pounds a year. When you say putting on a jumper raises your own body temperature, so therefore logic would dictate that you can turn down your thermostat, people will then act on those things because it makes more sense to them. And these are the kind of statistics that consumers need to hear. But also, in addition, go back to the data and back to the smart meters, we can only really do that in any form of accurate way if we can see the temperature, we can actually manage our sort of usage and things like that. So it's all really interesting and obviously with this stuff it's not just altruistic often it saves you money so green energy tends to be cheaper or walking and cycling is free whereas getting in a car isn't and with wearables we ran a challenge that was once was just about walking more so the stat for this one is walk seventy-five thousand steps in a week and it's the equivalent of taking a uk car off the road for a day Seven days in a week, they say to do, what, 8,000 steps a day. So that's, what, 11,000 steps a day or just under? Yeah. So just walking a little bit more. You get healthier. You save huge amount of emissions. And then on top of this, people were rewarded with a free personal training class as well. So that's kind of how the app works. 
That's really clever. It's I'm seeing more and more of these types of things, especially when it comes to health initiatives that save you money. But it's also there's a green element to it with things like there's a vitality insurance for older people and things like that, where it's you can sign up to these amazing things, get healthy. You're saving the planet, but you're saving money and incentive does help. And I think incentivization is so important when it comes to encouraging people to become green. Totally. And it is really important. And at the end of the day, it is nice to do good things, to feel good, to do good. But it's also nice if you save some money, especially with cost of living crisis, and you get something tangible for your efforts that you can have at home, a product or a service. And I don't think there's any harm in that. And it's an important way to connect people looking to live positively and ethical brands as well to say we're doing the same thing. Staying on the subject of data, how does tracking progress through data help consumers stay motivated to live sustainably? Is that something that you see through SoCo? Is that like talking about that incentivization? Mm. How does that then factor in when you're tracking somebody's progress? Yeah, I think motivation is key with any of these things. And we sort of touched on it before at the beginning, but the world can seem so big and problems so insurmountable. It leads to kind of apathy and the worry that our changes don't make a real difference in the world, which I fully sympathize with. Because, you know, I have those days too. I lose enthusiasm. We're all just human. But Tracking data through these small, bite-sized, digestible pieces, like stats that we've been talking about today, they make you smile and watching you smile and like, you know, it makes us happy because we're like, oh yeah, that means that I can move forward. I can make a difference. And the collection of us all doing that and feeling inspired and powerful keeps us motivated, keeps us on track. And so I think it's really important that we realize that some of us has a really big, significant impact. And There are companies that hold bigger chips than the rest of us, but that doesn't mean that we can't join together and collaborate and fight back and choose how we live and and how we spend our money. And that's a very powerful tool for change. So, and I think these tracking little stepping stones allow us to stay motivated and with self-belief that what we're doing does make a difference. And yeah, progress is important and being able to see it is important. My final question is sort of along the lines of availability of data. (laughs) Technology is moving at lightning speed and advancing every single day to the point that I don't even think that some of the biggest tech wizards can keep up. (laughs) Will the availability of data for sustainable living increase as technology advances? Yes, I think it will increase. I think that there is uh, everything to do with data and information is just going to increase because as everything becomes more digital and we live in an increasing global and digital world, more and more data will just naturally become available. I'm hoping as it does, that things come with, I don't know how to term, data tags in the future. So small snippets of information that can help us make informed decisions not that I particularly enjoy it at the moment when they go to a restaurant, but you know, now they've got the calories on them, which really I prefer if they didn't, to be honest. But, <laughs> but that kind of thing is helping us make an informed decision about what we consume in one way. I'd like to see it on other things. I don't want people to feel guilty because I don't think that's an effective way to make change, but maybe to just do the reduce the lack of knowledge around something. So if we had these snippets of data available to us, 
on an everyday basis, that would be brilliant. I mean, no one's perfect, especially not me. And I don't think we need a world of perfect people, just maybe a world of people living a slightly less imperfectly. I love that. Data will slowly allow us to lift this veil of ignorance and live with more purpose and more awareness. Because I think if we lived 20% more consciously, that the world would be a very different place. But it takes us en masse to do that. The compound effect of that could be huge. And it's less scary and more accessible for people to make those kind of changes. And it takes us away from this, oh, my God, things are far too big for us. We, we really do have the power to make big change in the world. Definitely agree with you. Just a final thing, like what's next for SoCo? Oh, that's a question, isn't it? Um, so we're just all building brands and partnerships at the moment. I would really like to take SoCo internationally because it's a relatively easy model to use across different markets. Essentially, all you've got to do is find really great brands that want to empower their consumers. And there's some smaller brands going international now as well. So it's nice to work with them because they want to reduce their carbon footprints by have small agencies on the ground in each country. So they're not shipping internationally constantly. So speaking to some of those as well. So that was really interesting. And from a consumer point of view, we have to acknowledge that there are areas of your life where there are going to be unavoidable emissions. Like, we're human. We're always going to make an impact. And there's always going to be some sort of emission just from us just simply existing. And I kind of want to gear the conversation now towards a really hot topic at the moment, carbon offsetting. And we've spoken about that on a previous episode as well. And we've spoken about that, I think, in season five or six, where we did a, an episode called Carbon Offsetting the Good, the Bad and the Ugly. And I kind of want to remind you what carbon offsetting is. And I've got a definition here because I don't explain it in the best way myself. So carbon offsetting is a process of balancing out greenhouse gas emissions by supporting projects that reduce or remove equivalent amounts of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. It involves calculating one's carbon footprint or the amount of greenhouse gases produced from everyday activity and then investing in initiatives like reforestation, renewable energy or carbon capture and storage to offset those emissions. So I think by offsetting the emissions, the individuals and organisations can take responsibility for their own environmental impact and support that kind of transition towards a lower carbon future. It's really important to note that offsetting should not be seen as a replacement, though. It's not a replacement for reducing emissions at the source. And that's why I think this season is so important because we're talking about it from conception to distribution. So I think that's why I wanted to raise this point. For now, they just provide a really great ability to offset some unavoidable carbon emissions. Many carbon offsetting projects focus on planting trees. I don't know if you're all long-time listeners here, but I have said a few things about planting trees in the past. <laughs> it's not that I think it's bad. I just think that we could do so much more. Whilst the earth benefits from every new tree that is planted, it can take decades for trees to start making a positive contribution to reducing carbon in the atmosphere. So that's why I wanted to just mention that. But yeah, speaking now to today's special guest, we are going to be speaking to the co-founders of the app Birth. 
carbon offsetting app such as Birth allows users to calculate their carbon footprint by inputting data about their lifestyle habits such as energy consumption, transportation and food choices. The app then suggests ways to reduce their emissions and provides the option to purchase carbon credits to offset the remaining emissions. Today, I'm speaking with two of the co-founders in this conversation, Laura Vahanan and George Kassab. Laura has a background in analysing long-term trends and the impact of sustainable practices on major Brazilian businesses, and that provides Birth with really relevant insights on climate-related issues. And George's background provides Birth with important tools for collaboration, process improvement, and identifying trends to deliver economic value. Thank you both so much for joining me. I'm really excited to be doing this episode and to be in conversation with you. Birth is described as a climate action app. How exactly does it work? I think it would be good at this point to kind of explain to the listeners in a little bit of detail as to what it is that you do. Thank you for having us, Bianca. So the Birth app automatically estimates carbon emissions on a product-by-product basis by tracking online receipts. It then enables users to understand, manage, and reduce their climate impact. You basically connect your email and the algorithm filters through your online receipts of air travels or Amazon purchases or maybe online grocery purchases. These emails have uh, rich data to help estimate the carbon footprint of things. For example, the weight of a product or the exact destination of your flight. So the app compiles all this data into its user-friendly interface automatically and allows you to see your emissions over time groups these emissions into categories, and also show you a detailed list of the associated emissions of each item. Birth is the climate action app because it allows anyone to associate their consumption choices with their underlying carbon footprint. And this allows people to start creating carbon intuition, which is, well, as we say it, the first step for taking effective climate action. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting concept and I've been using Birth for a while myself and we've been working together for the past couple of months during the building phase of the app. And it's been really interesting for me because when I log in, I see some of my own <laughs> my own emissions and I didn't think I was as bad as I am. <laughs> it's made me realise that I take far too many Ubers. <laughs> I mean, what areas of your lifestyle are you actually able to track on the app? Yeah, I mean, we started the app with a, a few categories, namely air travel, rideshare, and Amazon purchases. And then the next release, which we're finalizing right now, is um, we expect to include train journeys, hotel bookings, and online grocery purchase, such as Tesco. So whenever you buy something online through Tesco, you will see those emissions item by item being shown in the app. So yeah, and adding these to the existing um, tracking features that we have now. From then on, you know, we have a roadmap of many, many possibilities. Fashion is an easy win. Food service providers, you know, if you order something from Nando's, for example, you'll see that popping in there. And, you know, other things that people buy online. And then with, with user feedback, which we usually get through analytics, we'll be able to focus on what's more important for the users. I didn't realize that you were going to be integrating things like fashion as well, which is, so as you said, such an easy win. And I think that that will show the majority of consumers, especially in the UK, because I think the UK is like the highest consuming country for fashion. Like we buy three times more fashion than anywhere else. And that would be such an easy win because 
it will show these consumers exactly what it is that they're spending their money on, but not just their money, but where they're creating the most emissions. This season is all about tech. And I've had numerous conversations about data and analytics and AI and all these wonderful things that are completely out of my skill set. When I was doing my research, I came to realize that you offer a full circle solution to the issues that consumers face. So can you sort of explain more about the process? I think the whole idea behind the birth app is that individuals do not really need inaccurate estimates of their whole carbon footprint to make changes. We believe this will lead them to make, you know, obvious conclusions such as cycle to work or fly less, these things that we hear everywhere. And we think that the better approach is just providing a reasonable amount of very specific and accurate data points, you know, going deep instead of wide and trying to offer this product-by-product estimate of their carbon footprint, which can take these individuals to develop their own sense of carbon literacy in a way. We designed the user journey to dive into this and build the product accordingly. So the first step is that users understand their carbon footprint of key products and services they use in the daily life. The second step is learning the relative impact of the purchases in carbon terms. So what goods and services have the most impact on your carbon footprint? When looking for ways to reduce emissions, users can actually focus on what is more relevant to them and choose what habit change might make more sense to their lifestyle um, according to their relative impact of their purchases in carbon terms. And then the third and final step is to factor carbon into their consumption choices. And that's when the knowledge uh, from the birth app can help shape purchasing decisions and actually make an impact on your future carbon footprint. By understanding the source of the emissions, we hope people can make more informed choices to switch to low carbon options and reduce their footprint in that way. And if I may add, over 65% of the GDP comes from household expenses. So if even we scratch that surface and start helping people reduce their emissions through the knowledge that they get through the app, that will create a massive impact in the environment in the mid and long term. And it's also, you know, like we're also very much aware that no one can reduce their emissions to zero. So you will learn, you get a lot of insights and you'll learn how to reduce and make these important choices on your daily purchases, but no one will reduce them to zero. So you can use the app also to offset the emissions that you're unable to reduce at the moment. So that's one of the like the key features which helps people really take climate action and in their path to become carbon neutral. I love what you said there, that nobody can actually have zero emissions. And I think as part of this episode, I've discussed the fact that there are unavoidable emissions And I think everybody has that. And it's so important as humans that we, I think, almost recognize that and don't hold too much guilt in it. Because I think within the climate change conversation and impact conversation, we can be so judgmental and just quite down on ourselves as as humanity. And I think it's so important to really recognize that there are things that are completely out of our control. No matter what you do, you're going to have an impact. You're going for a walk down the road. You're not using a car. But you're still wearing clothes. You're still doing things. You've still made breakfast that morning. You still had a coffee. There's always going to be something that you can't avoid. But in being able to track it, I think highlights the areas where you can make change. And even those small tangible changes that you can kind of really see, those are the ones that are going to matter in the long run. 
I mean, the app is, um, we're very happy with the outputs that the app is, is giving users. You will learn some things, for example, the amount of emissions in 100 grams of cheese compared to 100 grams of chicken. When you're choosing a flight, if you're choosing for convenience or for prices, you're choosing indirect flight, you have a stopover. What does that mean in, in terms of emissions? You know, that could add a good 5 or 10% in your annual emissions just by choosing to do a long-haul flight and with, with a stopover. And this is kind of like climate intuition we want people to build by using the app. I wanted to really also ask you, I mean, as part of this conversation, what specific information can data provide to help consumers reduce their carbon footprint? Because I think that that's really poignant. Yes. As Laura mentioned um, previously, we want to go deep and not wide. And this is where we feel that most carbon literacy is going to come from. So I did give a couple of examples about long haul flights, you know, stopovers and probably the chicken and cheese. But the kind of data that people will manage to get is, you know, like, uh, I'll I'll give you another example. It's like three kilos of chocolate, for example, if you're buying chocolate for um, Easter and and you're going to distribute to loads of friends and family. Please don't ruin chocolate for me, George. uh, Yeah, no, I won't ruin it. You don't need to stop eating chocolate. It's obviously you don't need to stop it. But being aware about it, you know, being aware of it is very useful in your climate journey for someone, you know, who doesn't really understand what that means. But I won't ruin it for you. But I hope you don't have a car because three kilos of chocolate is equivalent to more or less filling up the tank of your car and driving all that mileage. So it's, <laughs> um, I'm a huge chocolateaholic. You know, my whole family is, I was shocked with chocolate. I was shocked with coffee, you know, like we're originally Brazilians, we're Brazilian founders and coffee is a massive, massive item in the start of our day but it does have a lot of emissions because of the land use associated to producing it. I have two cats and I have a little baby. I was astonished to see the emissions that my cats have, not only with the wet food that I buy, which I am reducing, and obviously adding more wheat and rice into their their, their diet. So I always think of my household emissions as myself and my, my wife, but my baby has also a lot of hardware. We did buy a lot of things secondhand, you know, that is an important reduction to our emissions, but nevertheless, the emissions are, are very high when you want to buy new pacifiers, clothes, or anything that goes with, with having a baby. So this is a kind of data that will be extracted, well, it will be shown to, to each user, uh, and it is very valuable. We're, we're very aware how valuable that is. So I really want to talk about education as well, because I think education is key. And as I said, the conversation around climate change and carbon footprints needs to change and become a little bit more educational and inclusive and a little bit more friendly. So how do apps like Birth use data to motivate and educate their consumers about like environmentally friendly actions? Well, this is where we start with the phrase, usually, that is, you can only manage what you can measure. That's kind of all-encompassing in everything we're doing. And the first step is really understanding how your actions are generating these emissions and to put it into a into perspective in a way that the user can actually understand what that really means. And from that moment on, an individual's power to take effective climate action increases immensely because they can choose to act on that data, right? The motivation to do so still relies kind of on the individual, right? But from a number of surveys that we've seen, and I guess you've probably seen them as well, we know that many Britons are eager to take on this challenge, actually. They just don't really know how. The information is just not available. There's also the fact that there's a strong correlation of something being easier to do 
and your propensity to doing it. So this kind of is always in our minds when we are designing the app. You can only manage what you can measure. You need the data. If you have the data, it has to be easy. If it's easy and you want to do it, you're going to do it. I think sustainability as a wider conversation and living a more eco-friendly lifestyle, it's not an easy task. People think that you have to give up absolutely everything. But something that I've always said, and this is five years coming up that I've been in this space and three years podcasting, is that you can only do small manageable changes. If you try to change everything all at once, you're only going to fail. So it's the same as anything, people picking up a new sport, a hobby, you have to do it and learn to improve and you improve with time and with practice. And it's the same with the climate conversation. And it's the same with making changes towards an eco-friendly lifestyle. And having apps like this that then provide you that, that data and the tools to make those changes is where I think we need to be at. How does having access to data on environmental impact actually influence consumers' purchasing decisions? That's something that I'm personally really interested in. Yeah, that's a really good question. We actually did a survey in partnership with IFF in 2021. We did the survey to try to understand the propensity of Britons to offset their emissions before starting the business. And we also had some other demographic questions about climate change and everything. And it was really interesting that we found out that 92% of Britons practice environmental habits such as recycling, which means that they're engaged. They want to take on this challenge and they are aware and worried about this whole subject. But 70% of them believe that they already do all they can. And there is just so much more that they could do if only they had the tools available. This is a really shocking figure for us because when you look at yourself, we really understand this because we just don't have the data available when we're purchasing things and when we are choosing what to buy and how to make our lifestyle and how to design that. And, you know, according to climate scientists and the latest IPCC report, which is a huge report they make every three or four, six years, about 3,000 pages long or something, they figured out in this last report that consumers can reduce emissions by 40 to 70% in this decade. And not only can and have the potential, but also should and have to do it to actually help the world achieve the net zero target. And so it doesn't stop there. We're bringing the literacy, the carbon literacy to users in the app, but we also want to integrate this into the pre-purchase experience as well. And we are planning to do this with a birth label. We are building tools to help small and medium businesses to actually calculate the carbon footprint of their products. And then um, if they're sustainable or not, maybe they can have a birth label accompanying that and help communicate to their consumers their climate impact, but also show to people that are not aware of this or for not sustainable products how much emissions each product has and give this information in the pre-purchase experience as well. I think there's a lot more of that coming up now as well, where I'm seeing more and more certifications or like you said, like a label or some sort of badge or certificate that says that brands are more eco-friendly or that they're abiding by a certain level of criteria that make them sustainable. And I think legislation is a really big one. And I think it needs to come down from government. But the amount of brands, if the brands are then enforcing these labels and these certifications themselves, it will be sort of like a smaller version of B Corp 
but in a way that is really quite cool and I think can be quite change-making. Yeah, and regulation is coming. I mean, write that down, it's coming. (laughs) I just wanted to also ask you, how can data be used to track and measure a consumer's progress towards this more sustainable lifestyle? Because I think we're talking about how they can see it, but how do we actually measure that? And I think, as you said, you can only manage what you can measure. So how's that going to be possible? So we use a technology called email parsing and it's real time. So I think that's the, the, the key benefit. So you jump on a plane. As soon as you leave your plane, you'll pop in the app and you'll see the, the, the emissions of that flight. And we can do that because there's so much rich information in email receipts. Um, that we we parse these, which is something very similar to web scraping. And you simply illustrate what these emissions are in a curve. You can show emissions over time. You can create categories of emissions, such as transport, food, shopping, and then choose where you want to focus your energy in. So, I mean, air travel for corporations, for example, we know that there's a lot of air travel that could be avoided. Very likely this will show up, you know, in the apps when we start having partnerships with companies. And uh, so, but for individuals, you'll never really be able to avoid 100% of your emissions, like we mentioned before. You will see, you know, you're visiting friends and family. I mean, you want to see your mother once a year, at least. You may not have to see her three, four times a year, but at least once a year. And if that means, you know, crossing the pond, going to the US for a flight, it would be very hard to do that in a 10-day trip on a boat if that had lower emissions. So you won't avoid these. This is not for you to avoid unavoidable emissions or feel bad about them, but it is to help you make changes on other low-hanging fruits. For example, if um, you're not that keen into certain types of meat, so you you kind of change that into types of meat that have lower emissions. So chicken has a lot less emissions than, than beef and lamb, for example. You know, the Brits love their lamb, but it does have a lot more emissions than chicken or wild fish. So if you don't mind making these adjustments, this will obviously help pop up in your emissions and you will see your emissions going down with time because it is automatic. It is real time. So as soon as you start making these adjustments and, and reducing your unavoidable, well, your, your unavoidable emissions, this will show up. And, and then not only will you see that your emissions are much lower, but the cost for you to um, offset these emissions and, and become carbon neutral also reduces with time. So the way the data comes, it really depends on the type of product. Some of them have like more, more detailed information in public and, and, and private databases. We did buy private databases, but we also use public information. And we created a, a massive data lake which feeds into the app and shows you the emissions of each product that you buy. So we do have just about everything in Amazon. We do have a lot of, you know, like most of the things in Tesco's as well. It's very hard for you to buy from any of these two retailers and not see the associated emissions of that product in in our app. It was months in the making. You know, we did build a, a big data lake to provide this information. And we hope that, you know, people will have the key information they need to start making these adjustments in their path to, to becoming carbon neutral. I know that your ethos is all about individual action and how data can be used. So how can data be used to compare and benchmark sustainability efforts of individuals and even in their sort of wider communities? Yeah, honestly, the possibilities are endless, basically. You know, we have gamification, competitions that you can design, social sharing initiatives to actually be able to compare, but also 
bring other people to the discussion, bring country averages in and compare yourself with the country averages, referrals and other types of, of partnerships. The amazing thing about data when you get it raw is that you can use it to shape a million things, a million different things to actually benchmark and make these benchmarks something that is encouraging other people to do more. In the long run, we believe that everyone will want to become carbon neutral in the same way they recycle their own household waste. So our mission is just to give them the tools to become the best version of themselves for the planet they live in, as you were saying. And if it's going to include several engagement initiatives, acting as hooks so that users want to connect and share, and also to make climate action go viral, so be it. We're going to do it. <laughs> I know that you partner with a few initiatives, like social impact initiatives. Who are they and why did you choose them? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have two projects in the Birth app. We have an Amazon conservation project and we have a peatland conservation project. Um, these projects were chosen by hand from us. We really looked into a lot of conservation projects that were in these high impact areas. Well, the Amazon, everyone knows about the Amazon, right? <laughs> it's really important that we save it. And then we, we, we keep the forest standing. That's a little bit more out there, I think. And Indonesia, Indonesia is home of most of the world's peatlands. And peatlands are an ecosystem that constitutes maybe 3% of the earth only and stores like half the carbon of the earth in it. And when you take the water out of these peatlands because you deforest the land to make palm oil plantations normally, which is used, as you probably know, for the shampoos and for the soaps and even for a lot of food items that we consume, such as cup noodles. Um, <laughs> Chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so these peatlands are really, really carbon rich ecosystems that have to be protected so that not even more carbon from deforestation gets out there. Deforestation accounts for 10% of our annual emissions. So it's a really, really big problem. And these projects, they are actually avoiding these emissions of going out in the atmosphere. And yeah, I think in this decade, there, there are a lot of types of carbon offset projects. But in this decade, the carbon offset projects that exist, that are effective and scalable are, are the forest conservation projects. So we chose two of the ones that we thought were really impactful to put into the app. I know so many of these impact to like so many different apps and different investment apps or everybody partners with these amazing projects but a lot of them focus on planting trees and it can take a really really long time for a tree to reach maturity for it to actually have an impact and then reduce the carbon like for instance if you plant a tree in the UK it's going to probably take <laughs> with our yeah. rubbish weather it'll take about 15 years for it to actually do anything versus like maybe if they were to grow in Kenya or in somewhere else that was probably a little bit more tropical so what are these projects doing? Right. So there are two different types of forest projects. There are the conservation projects and there are reforestation projects. Conservation projects work specifically on avoiding that those trees get deforested by unwanted reasons. And these are places where deforestation is inevitable if the project wouldn't have been placed. This is sometimes a confusing concept because how does avoiding trees to get deforested actually help climate change. But this is actually really, really important because 
of our annual emissions come from deforestation. So if we're deforesting less, we're actually emitting less and helping solve climate change. And reforestation projects are much more complex, as you said. They require planting trees that are native to the ecosystems. And if you don't do this, it can have adverse effects on what you're trying to build. It's a really long-term project, and it's something that has to be done with climate and environmental scientists together so that you get it right and don't affect the rest of the ecosystem because you're intruding it. So it's a more difficult kind of project to make, and it's more specific, and it's it really depends on the region and how it's done and how it happens. Um, conservation projects are really about stopping deforestation. They're very straightforward. Not all projects are the same. This is important. But we've cherry-picked ours. We've looked at them. We know the people who are making them, and we're really happy with the impact that we're making and happy to bring this to our users. These conversations have been so insightful for me and it just goes to show that apps can be really valuable tools for promoting and enforcing environmental change by providing users with accessible and convenient ways to track their carbon footprint, learn about sustainable practices and really take action towards reducing their environmental impact. These apps can actually encourage widespread adoption of eco-friendly behaviour and overall Green apps are offering a promising approach to promoting environmental awareness. And really, they're there and they're facilitating that positive change at both the individual and societal levels. In next week's episode, we'll be discussing how science is working to promote more sustainable production. It's a whole new area for me and I'm very excited. Until then, you can subscribe and listen back to previous episodes of Sustainably Influenced on all good podcast platforms. You can follow at Sustainably Influenced on Instagram and TikTok. I'm Bianca Foley. Thank you for listening. This season of Sustainably Influenced was produced by Content is Queen, sound editor Amber Miller, research assistant Toyo Douglas and presented by Bianca Foley.